You're listening to Health Call Live, the area's only live local interactive radio hour devoted to you and your health. Watch the video live stream on the Health Call Facebook page and call us with your questions at 447-1190 or toll free at 800-333-1190. Here's your host, health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Well, good morning. It is Saturday morning again. So glad that we get to hang out for a little while here and catch up on the latest in health and wellness information. You know, the fact that you come back each week really is the reason that I get to spend time during the week talking to doctors and researchers and learning more about the people who are trying to keep us all healthy. So I really thank you for that because it's something that I really do enjoy. This program has taught me, really kind of opened my eyes to just how much pain and suffering there is out there in the world and how good health is nothing you ought to take for granted. And that's particularly true if you know someone who's waiting for an organ transplant. More than 100,000 people are on the list right now, waiting sometimes three to five years for a new organ. Kidneys are in great demand, and during the time that you're waiting for that transplant, you may well be on dialysis, connected to a machine for several hours a day, several days a week, as this machine tries to do the job that your kidneys can't do anymore, and that is filter out the proteins and other impurities in your bloodstream. If you're lucky, you have a friend or a relative who's compatible and they may volunteer to give you a kidney or in some cases even part of their liver. This is called live organ donation, and it's still a small percentage of the procedures, but it is growing. In Houston, there's a group called the Living Bank, and they get involved to help organ donors understand what's coming and support them through the process. I talked with Emily Buckley and the CEO there, Kelly Perdue, and found that there's even an organ swap program that lets me donate a healthy organ to it total stranger. In return, someone I care about can get an organ much, much sooner. We're going to learn about that in just a moment. But first, here's Emily explaining why an organ from a living donor is usually a better outcome for that sick patient. Usually these matches are a little bit better of a match compared to deceased donors. And especially for kidneys, um, we are seeing that recipients are living a little bit longer with um, a living donor compared to a deceased donor. So there is a process involved here that I am just fascinated by, and that is kind of the swap program. So let's say that I want to donate a kidney to my wife, but we don't match. Our tissues just are not a good match. How does the swap program come in? Yes, the SWAP program is something that has come about um, within the last couple of years, and it's an amazing opportunity where if you're a healthy individual, you meet all of the criteria to be able to donate a kidney um, to an individual. However, you do not match the blood type. You can actually enter the SWAP program where you, um, you will be paired with another recipient and donor, and that recipient's donor will actually donate to your loved one, family, stranger, and um, vice versa. And what's neat is that they have actually extended the SWAP program into what's called um, a chain where they can continue on this kind of domino type program 
up to as many individuals as needed. So the longest the longest chain program that has occurred in the United States um, is about 35 kidneys um, have been swapped out um, to to impact 35 individuals. So, uh, Kelly, does this mean that that on any one day there are going to be all these procedures happening across the country as organs are harvested and transplanted and moved around the country? In terms of living organ donors, there the uh, paired exchange that Emily was referring to went all the way across the United States. And so it does not happen um, in the same day. And it's just a chain of patients that goes down. And what's great, one thing I wanted to mention is that if you're an altruistic donor, that means I want to donate to Emily, um, or I, I want to donate my kidney, but I don't have an intended recipient. I can do that. They start with an altruistic donor, um, because there's not an intended recipient for them. Okay, let me get clear on that. So I don't have a target for where I want my organs to go. I just know that I want to donate an organ. So that that is what starts this chain. One of the services that the Living Bank does provide is we are independent living donor advocates. So we get called in to ensure um, that these donors aren't being coerced or forced. And pretty much we're talking to them about their reasoning for donating. And so some people really just feel called. They may not have an intended recipient, but they know of someone who received a life-saving um, transplant and they feel called to to be able to help and provide you know life to somebody who who otherwise would not have this opportunity well i i admire them greatly but i'm i'm not sure i'm that guy <laughs> uh, what organs can be donated we've talked about kidneys but it doesn't stop there right correct so um, kidney is the most common um, organ that is donated currently in the United States. Livers are also able to be a uh, lobe of the liver can also be donated. Um, and that is becoming a little bit more popular. Um, and then also in addition to that, you know, very rarely people can donate a portion of their pancreas um, and a lobe of their lung in addition to or along with people donating kidneys or livers. So those do not happen nearly as often as kidney or livers, but those are opportunities and options. Yeah, I think people might be surprised to learn, Kelly, that when you donate a portion of your liver, your body has an amazing ability to restore it to full function, both for you and the donor or and the recipient. Well, Absolutely. So when you donate a liver low, it will regenerate anywhere from 90 to 95% in the recipient and in the donor. And what's also fascinating to me is if you donate, an adult donates to a pediatric patient, um, and it's a liver lobe, that liver, it grows with that pediatric patient. Um, and the body is, it is amazing. And to touch back on um, living donation, about 86% of living donor transplants are kidney and anywhere from 11 to 13% um, living organ um, donation is a liver lobe. And so they make up 95% of 
of those that are transplanted through living donation. So that was Kelly Perdue, the CEO of The Living Bank. The science has come so far, you can donate part of your lung to the more than 1,400 people now waiting for lung transplant. Cystic fibrosis, primary reason for that procedure. Typically, it's the lower lobe of one lung that is removed and transplanted. So for a total lung transplant into a young person with CF, you're going to need two live donors. So that's a pretty rare situation. You can also donate part of your intestines. And if you have an artificial knee or hip, you can donate the bone removed and so it can be used by others for a number of different processes. It's all pretty amazing to me. But there's more to know about living donation. We're going to focus on what impact does it have on the donor? How long are you off work? Who covers the cost? Lots of other questions. We get to all of those as we continue on the Health Call Live Radio Hour on WoWo. Welcome back to Health Call Live. If you've got a question, you don't have to give blood to get the answer. Just call us at 447-1190. And I'm keeping an eye on the text line. If you want to shoot a message at us while we're here on this segment, you certainly can. 46862, 46862. If you have a question or a comment or just want to get in touch and share a thought, uh, you can do that right now at 46862. Talking this half hour about a side of organ transplantation you may not know a lot about, and that is living donor processes. It's, it's where you give up your kidney or part of your lung or even part of your liver to help another person, and it might be just a total stranger. So I talked with Emily Buckley and Kelly Perdue from a group called the Live Bank down in Houston. Their job is to be an independent advocate for the organ donor, the live donor, making sure you know what to expect and that there's no undue pressure on you to donate. I asked Emily what happens and what can you expect when you volunteer to donate part of your body? Um, A nephrectomy usually takes about two to three hours under general anesthesia, and then most donors are in the hospital anywhere from 24 to 72 hours um, post-donation. And once they leave the hospital, we usually tell donors to expect to take about two to four weeks off from work, give or take. Normally, during that time, we don't want you lifting anything heavy, just taking an easy. I mean, you just underwent a major surgery, major abdominal surgery. Then we normally tell you that your recovery really just fluctuates from there. Some people feel great a couple months after the surgery. Some people state that it takes them about a year to feel like they fully recovered from the fatigue. Um, But they state that providing life to somebody else was worth the additional fatigue that they have incurred. Okay, well, I'm, I'm a pretty serious health nerd, so my question then becomes, do you do, you do the, res, the, the uh, retrieval from the front or the back? Is If you're going through the back, that's a lot of muscle that you're cutting through. That could be a pretty extreme amount of physical therapy and things afterwards. So they actually do it um, laparoscopically um, through the belly button, and so they do it through the front. So they try to do as the least invasive option possible. So liver um, liver donors are usually in the hospital a little bit longer, give or take, just because of the intensity of the surgery in regards to them taking a, a portion of your lobe. Um, but normally they're discharged within um, 72 hours to a week after 
um, donation. So four to six weeks off on both procedures, long recovery time, that's a big economic hit. What happens for the donor? Is there any support for them available? So legally, um, the recipient cannot pay the donor for um, for donating their organ to them. However, they can assist with if they have to travel, they can assist with travel expenses or housing expenses here in the Houston area or the area where they are wanting um, to donate. There are assistance programs out there for living donors if they qualify. The other thing that we always tell living donors to look into is if you are working and you have to take time off, you should be eligible if you have it for short-term disability through your employer. And can I have can I have the the donation procedure in my hometown, or do I have to travel to the transplant center where the the uh, surgery will occur? So you have to um, tra travel to the transplant center where the surgery will actually incur, um, just to make sure it make it as seamless as possible. Um, the Organs can usually only be out of the body for a certain amount of time, so they just want to make sure that you are um, on site and that the organ is um, ready to go into the recipient. Well, that makes sense. Sure. Kelly, how do I register? How do I get engaged if I want to be a, a donor? Well, first, if you're interested in altruistic donation, and there are a lot of young people that want to make an impact and, and as Emily mentioned, want to give something back and what a greater gift than giving someone the gift of life. So if I'm an altruistic donor, the suggestion is contact the transplant center in your area that has a live donor program. And when you call, they will do an assessment and a pre-screen to determine if you meet the initial qualifications. And then they will connect you with an independent living donor advocate. Now, if you are someone, if I want to donate to my mother, um, I would get in touch with her transplant center where she's listed. And sometimes people are listed at more than one center. And you'll go through the evaluation process. And one thing to mention, what's so important about living organ donation and where the Living Bank has come alongside is that back in 2007, um, they put in federal regulations that you had to have an independent living donor advocate. And that person is to ensure that your decision is free from coercion and 100% voluntary. But they have the advocate has to be the first person to make contact with that patient once they go through initial call screening because that patient needs to know this person is completely independent from the transplant center. They are there for the living donor candidate and then the living donor post donation and that there's no conflict of interest there. And that's where the Living Bank came alongside with the centers. We happen to be located in the Texas Medical Center and have the opportunity to work with four um, world-class transplant centers. And then we also work with centers outside of Texas via telehealth. But that independent living donor advocate, whether it's within the health system or not, that living donor needs to know that's the person that they can go to because because the living donor candidate must have no reservation because there are socioeconomic um, issues, um, support issues, all of that. And what if um, the, the kidney that you donate is rejected? 
I mean, what is the emotional piece of that after mm-hmm. donation? And these are things that you must take into account when you're counseling the living donor. That is a great point. There is a psychological component to all of this, certainly. To hear living donors talk about their recipient after surgery, the living donor doesn't feel great because they just went through surgery, but they walk into the recipient's room. They see the yellow come from the eyes. They see the clarity. Every time I talk about it, I get goosebumps. This one young man, um, our board chair, donated a kidney to a family friend. And within hours of the surgery, the protein that had built up in his joints had started to dissipate. So it's just unbelievable the gift of life that they give them. They're not tied to dialysis if it's a kidney transplant. And so that's the piece. Although it doesn't benefit the living donor by taking their organ, the ripple effect of those affected by a life-saving procedure is, you know, words can't express that. So to share to share that that is is a wonderful thing and a, and a miracle. The body is miraculous. And say that again. That is Kelly Purdue. She is the CEO of the Living Bank. You also heard there Emily Buckley, who's their chief of operations. You can find more about them and what they do at LiveBank.org. That is LiveBank.org. Got a text message here. Somebody asking why can't you donate only a piece of your kidney? So you heard there that that we can donate lobes or a portion of your liver, and it will then regrow in the other person's body. And uh, you know, I just did a quick you know, Google, Dr. Google search here during the program, and I can't find any reference to being able to divide the kidney and be able to do kind of the same process. So it's a whole kidney that must be donated, and I assume that's just because of the structure of the kidney and, and the way the blood flow and the tissues operate within that organ that they cannot be divided, because certainly by now we would have figured that out and have done it, but I'll keep looking into that. What's really exciting out there in the world is what's happening with xenophobic transplants, cross-xenophobic transplant, which means taking organs out of animals and putting them into humans. Now, there was just a a case in which a, a, a human received a heart from a pig. And this has taken, you know, decades of engineering work at the genetic level. And they think this is really going to head to more success and more organs being transplanted. What they do is knock out some genes in the pig that would trigger an attack by our immune system, and then they add in genes to these pigs to help the body accept this organ. So the idea here is to avoid uh, rejection, of course, but then there's also the question of organ growth. How do you limit the size of that pig heart so it does not continue to keep growing? That's the next challenge and they're working on genetically working that through. And they think that there are a lot of companies out there doing this type of research, trying to come up with a solution so that we can put more total organs out of animals into humans. And you know, this is a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar industry if they can figure that out. A lot of this is happening overseas. So, for example, down in New Zealand, 
They are raising miniature pigs with all of these genetic modifications so that the kidneys and other organs are able to stay at a smaller size that would be appropriate for humans without having to go through all those growth hormone modifications. So, man, lots of science here, lots of interesting work being done to solve this problem of organ shortages, and live organ donation is one way that we're making progress. When we come back on the other side of the half hour, we're going to be taking a look at exactly what goes on in your heart valves that can cause you problems. And there is a cardiac surgeon who says we all need to get more up to speed on that going silent problem. And one that's particularly bad in the black and brown communities of America. So we get to that next on the Health Co. Live Radio Hour on WoWo. Podcasts by Federated Media. 